we modified it a bit to make it more explicit that we recognize the right of political self-determination, including secession. Welcome to the Texas News Podcast, where we dive into all things Texas politics and the future of independence in the state of Texas. On today's show, we're going to discuss some exciting updates on the Texas petition. And we're going to be joined by a very special guest. Dave Benner of the National Libertarian Party is going to join us to discuss why the Libertarian Party is openly encouraging states to vote on independence. So don't go anywhere. All right. Hey, so glad you guys could join us for the Texas News Podcast this week. It's going to be a big one, right? Not only do we have a big announcement to make regarding the Texas petition, but we have got a very special guest with us. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Dave Benner of the Libertarian Party National is going to be joining us. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dave, Dave's going to intro himself uh, a bit. I'm going to ask him so you guys understand who Dave is, and for the international folks, we're going to talk about what the Libertarian Party is. Uh, I actually had a conversation with a uh, a Turkish student attending university in Lyon, France, yesterday, uh, and when I mentioned the Libertarian Party, she did not know what that was. So um, maybe maybe it's catching on internationally. We'll we'll find out. But we're going to talk to Dave. Really, uh, we're going to be talking about their very vocal. Uh, discussions that they've been having across social media and pretty much everywhere else advocating for states to do what we're doing here in Texas, which is uh, have a vote on independence, right, to actively seek self-government and self-determination. So I I am, I'm going to tell you, I've been looking forward to this. And so without any further ado, let me introduce Dave Benner of the Libertarian Party. Well, hey, Dave, thanks for uh, for joining us on the Texas News Podcast. Uh, man, I've, I've been really excited to have you on and, and looking forward to having it. Uh, before we kind of dive off into any uh, any type of the, the questions or discussion, why don't you tell uh, everyone a little bit about uh, who you are, tell folks about what you do with the Libertarian Party, uh, and for the folks that are listening or watching uh, that are not in the United States, maybe just a, a brief history of the Libertarian Party. Sure, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm the Region 2 rep on the Libertarian National Committee. That's the top-level committee in the Libertarian Party. Um, I've also contributed historical writings um, to a few organizations like the Tenth Amendment Center, Mises Institute, Abbeville Institute, etc. Um, I'm a zealous advocate for secession, and I know that Texas is basically one of the best causes in that atmosphere. So extremely excited to be here. The Libertarian Party is the third biggest political party in the U.S. We have ballot access in almost 50 states. We're fighting to retain that right now. Um, It's been around since the early 1970s, and we are the only political party that I know of that in our platform explicitly calls out the right of the people to alter, abolish, or withdraw from their government. So we want to encourage that. We love to see organizations such as yourselves get into that. And uh, yeah, just happy to be here. That's great. And and I'll tell you, David, for, for those out there who do not know, we, we talk about this a lot. Uh, you know, obviously here in Texas, uh, there was a, a big bit of news when the Republican Party added a call for a Texas vote to their platform. But little do people know, and, and we, we always mention it, the Libertarian Party here in Texas was actually the first political party in our state 
to add specific language to their platform calling to put the question of independence to a vote of the people. And, uh, you know, how much would you say the the needle has shifted on this issue within the Libertarian Party? Oh, so much so. You know, our our platform has has always kind of featured some language pertaining to this right, but uh, explicitly we made it more explicit in the last convention in 2022 where... um, kind of a faction known as the Mises Caucus, which I am part of, gained power um, over the National Committee, and our delegates were predominantly part of that faction, and we are radical secessionists, and we put in our platform, um, we modified it a bit to make it more explicit that we recognize the right of political self-determination, including secession. Before that, we had a little bit more general terminology that did, you know, imply our support for this right, but we wanted to make it more explicit but just overall, in general, the layman, I think, is much more exposed to these kind of ideas than they ever had been before. It would have been considered entirely subversive even to bring up some of these things um, 20 years ago. But now I saw, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene tweet about it famously a few months back. And, man, I think that's a white pill, a true source of hope um, that I haven't seen before in my lifetime. And I'm not too old, but uh, the, the pendulum is swinging for sure. Yeah, it's you know it's always been interesting for me. Um, you know, I've been I've been at this for a, quite a long time, but to watch this explosion, you know, post World War II explosion of self-governing independent nations, uh, and and to see how self-determination and self-government is a good part of the core lexicon, uh, popularly, right? I mean, I, I think the academics have struggled a bit to, to catch up to the issue. I think there, there's a lot more scholarly work being done on it. But, um, you know, to, to see sort of the, the reaction just to the idea of, of questioning is the way that we're being governed now the way that it needs to be moving forward. I think that's a, you know, that's sort of um, been almost a, a no-go zone, the third rail, you don't want to touch it. But to watch this began to enter into sort of the popular mainstream. Now, uh, we haven't really as much seen, I mean, you you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, who is probably one of the more vocal, um, I wouldn't call her necessarily a proponent, but she she did throw a rattlesnake in the tent by talking about national divorce. You know, we've had issues here in Texas where uh, famously, you know, Ted Cruz was asked at a, at a, uh, podcast recording uh, in College Station, how he felt about it, uh, and he, he gave an answer that was not a no. His answer was, I'm not saying no, I'm saying not yet. Um, you know, in, in a whole host, we have an entire podcast episode where we just go down this massive list of people that have publicly commented on this, but, but it seems that while you begin to see a lot of these things festering at the state level, uh, you know, you're beginning to see momentum. I know here in Texas, we've had, as I mentioned, the aforementioned platform plank with libertarians, the two platform planks we got with the Republican Party, the fact that, um, you know, we're probably, um, we're going to absolutely, not probably, we are absolutely about to force the Republican Party of Texas to, to vote on this issue. Um, you know, it, it's not been really sort of embraced by the federal level parties, right? I mean, you, you don't see Republicans, uh, the you know, the RNC or the DNC talking about it other than to scoff or try to ignore it. What what was it that really has 
propelled libertarian uh, party at, at the federal level to get out in front of this issue. Yeah, I think it's just the polarization that we've seen, especially in the last decade. I mean, even even a decade ago, I just didn't get the same sense that people were at each other's throats to the extent that they are now, both in the last two presidencies, regardless of how you look at it. So, you know, when President Trump took office, you saw movements in California, CalExit, of course, that you're I know you're familiar with yeah. kind of take off. And we've seen that a little bit fizzle down since Biden uh, is the president. But, um, you know, and vice versa, we see Texit becoming more prominent sometimes when uh, Biden's the president, potentially. Maybe you'll correct me on that. I'm sure that Texas has a long, lengthy history with a lot of uh, consistency behind it, too. But uh, I just think it's the sheer polarization of America, because what happens is, you know, people that oppose our ideas of, you know, localization and um, self-determination and autonomy will say, well, it'll be so chaotic if this happens. But we're seeing the chaos unfold every four years, maybe even every two years where we fight you know, these small scale civil wars over every issue imaginable. So I, I think it's those issues that has really made this issue r rise to the top. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's no doubt. I mean, there there is a um, there's a, a definite sense that things are at a tipping point. You know, things are this thing is going to break one way or the other. Um, I, I did a um, I did an interview with a French documentary crew about two months ago, three months ago, two months ago. And they they were literally here to uh, to not just it wasn't just about us it was about this entire piece related to the polarization that you talked about uh, and and it's it's an interesting thing and I definitely want to get your take on this it's an interesting thing to me that so many people on the outside see the polarization as sort of a partisan polarization. Uh, or they see it, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, economic status, whether it's uh, ethnically based, whether, it, you know, they, they, they look at all these different reasons to divide. But would you would you classify this as, as something sort of beyond that? Is it a in your mind, something we talk about a lot uh, is this is the people versus an entrenched political establishment? Would you would you agree with that? Well, certainly so. And, you know, our, our forefathers thought of it the same way. Jefferson did, certainly in the Declaration of Independence, which was, in my mind, a declaration of secession. And he wasn't the yeah. first. He was just taking ideas from the classical liberal tradition, John Locke and Al Algernon Sidney, etc. So, um, you know, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish a tyrannical system. We certainly have one today. Um, I know your your listeners might generally fall on the conservative side, but I think almost every realm of the federal government is completely beyond the bounds of what the founders expected. We have a crippling surveillance apparatus. We have, you know, the IRS and the income tax seizing huge swaths of everyone's wealth. You know, we have the deep state. Um, the, every aspect of the country is really suffering because of the mammoth federal, federal Leviathan. And, you know, Things like Brexit in Europe that took place really provide kind of a blueprint for how this can be handled peacefully. Um, and I think that's nothing to scoff at. Um, we have to be real and discuss this openly. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned Brexit because I think it's, uh, you know, one of the big important lessons from Brexit is about how issues of independence like this are not really... Uh, they don't cut uh, along the normal sort of duopoly political lines that people think. 
Um, you know, you saw post-Brexit the collapse of the Red Wall for labor up in the north. And uh, it, it just it, it's pretty clear when you look at polling on this issue here in Texas that that it really transcends that that partisan divide. What yeah. What sort of advantage do you think uh, the Libertarian Party has gained by being in front of this issue when, let's be honest, the, the two major federal parties won't touch it with a 10-foot pole? Yeah, just that we're the only ones that are willing to be outspoken about it. Like, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, Daniel, we think that this issue is becoming more acceptable and more prominent, but it's, you know, it's still being uh, condemned by the mainstream media, the corporate press. Um, but we're we're the alternative. The Libertarian Party, you can check out our platform at lp.org slash platform. It's right there in 3.7. Um, so we're just really providing the only alternative I know of to this. And uh, really, it's we're getting out in front of it like we've gotten out in front of a lot of things, like uh, kind of the overseas empire building, uh, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Getting involved in Ukraine when that was unpopular, we were in front of that issue too. But... Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it definitely, in, in my mind, it, it puts y'all, uh, it puts the Libertarian Party at, at a decided advantage, particularly if uh, the establishment forces inside the, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party continue to thumb their nose at, at the people. You know, they just become part of a uniparty uh, political establishment. And, and let's be honest, I mean, you, you've seen it out there. I'm, I'm sure you have that people are are expressing higher levels of discontent than we've ever seen, uh, particularly with the political system. I think on both sides, even, you know, if you're, a, if you're a mainstream Democrat, you basically have to hold your nose right now. I can't see anyone legitimately believing that the, the president is an appealing choice. I mean, <laughs> they have to lie through their teeth to say that. And uh, yeah. I don't know if we've been able to say that at any other time in my life, certainly, Obama and Clinton had their hit their fans. Um, but the same thing with Trump. You can see that the indictments are, um, you know, really treating a president in ways that are largely unprecedented. So you see this polarization. Um, it's not going to get better. The country only gets larger and more tyrannical as years go on. It's been that way from the progressive era forward, if you ask me. And even before that, there were there were signs that it was going off the rails. So we see it in both camps. And I just want to make clear that the Libertarian Party is interested in these ideas, however they manifest. So even if, um, you know, Vermont wanted to break off and create their own socialist utopia, for instance, we would think that would be a better result for all parties. And right now we have the, the Free State Project. It's kind of a libertarian-leaning organization in New Hampshire that's trying to build a free state via libertarian concentration. So... Um, you know, tags it, a more conservative uh, embrace of that tradition as well. So however it manifests, we're supportive of it, and we think it will be better for all parties because you should not be ruled by a criminal elite that's thousands of, of miles away from you, regardless of how you stand on the issues. All right. That's uh, great sentiment. And, it, you know, it's great you mentioned the Free State Project. We had uh, Carla Garrick on here uh, just, I think it was last week. Uh, and, you know, we talked about the, particularly the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence, um, but how this is expressing itself. And, and you know, the, the common thread uh, among all these folks, Dave, among all of us is, look, let California govern California, let New Hampshire govern New Hampshire, 
let Texas govern Texas, and, and let's reject this idea of a one-size-fits-none government. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's and I think that's where this is all headed. I mean, this, we've watched the embrace of self-determination and, and self-government around the world. Um, why, in your mind, has it taken so long for it to wash up on the steps or on the shores of, of North America? Mm. That's a good, that's a really good question. I think it's a combination of factors, but the one that crosses my mind the most is just how entrenched federal oriented education has, has driven us because, um, the, the ultimate, um, thing that would dissuade people from supporting these ideas is education that's controlled by the government you might be wanting to break away from. So it's the biggest conflict of interest in the universe. And you can apply it to lots of issues, not just you know, secession or localism or political decentralization, but we didn't have the alternative media whatsoever, even, even in the last 15 years. So even in like 2006, it was different, but when YouTube started up and you started to get some of the alternative journalists, Aaron Matei and Glenn Greenwald, uh, Tim Poole, Joe Rogan shows, um, these shows are willing to entertain guests that are not only subject matter experts in this field, but very persuasive as well. So um, the breakout of the exposure to these ideas is greater than it's ever been, like I said, in my lifetime, um, and maybe up until, you know, the antebellum period. So um, I think that's one of the biggest reasons. Yeah, it's, it's uh, man, I'm, I'm glad you, you said that because it reminds me, you know, I t I've talked on here before, I've, I've talked about it a lot. One of the things that really propelled me this direction back in the in the mid-90s was uh, that book Global Paradox by John Nesbitt. You know, he wrote Megatrans, Megatrans 2000, and, you know, that was essentially the thesis. The, the book was about the telecommunications revolution, but he, he said the effect of that was that the, the tr world's trends at that time pointed overwhelmingly toward economic interdependence on one hand and political independence on the other. And and while he focused on that easier access to the market, you know, the, the economic interdependence aspect of it and how it fueled that, I could I could see very well where uh, you know this access to information, not just uh, not just the marketplace of goods, but the marketplace of ideas has probably fostered that as well. Um, uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you there, but where, where do we go from here? You know, I, I don't, I don't make, I try not to make predictions, but I have no qualms about making other people make predictions. So, uh, where, where do you, where do you see the next five, 10 years, you know, and, and nobody's going to hold you to this, right? Well, this is not a contract, but you know, you, you obviously have your finger on the pulse. You see w the way the winds are, are shifting, Play out the next five to ten years in your head for us. Mm. Well, that's that's hard to do, but I will say, I mean, I think these bills will be more and more prevalent and start to be more and more unignorable by politicians, whether they die in committee or get a full uh, vote on, on the floors of various states. I think that they will get no, more notoriety, and even when they fail, it will increase the exposure, so... Um, you know, I, I'm more of an optimist than many of my cynical libertarian counterparts. So I think this is going in a good direction, if only to establish a baseline for, you know, an education campaign about what all this is about. And I right. know your organization is more about Texas specifically, but uh, one of the ways that I think everyone can benefit from this, too, is that even when these things fail, 
we want to concentrate on local single-issue coalitions that embrace nullification, or what Thomas Jefferson called the rightful remedy against federal tyranny, even if secession fails. So um, you you belong to a sovereign state. I live in Tennessee. That's also a sovereign state. And Jefferson and Madison both believed and articulated this in 1798 that each state is the final arbiter as to the powers that that state delegated to the federal government. And that state doesn't have to go along like a willing lapdog with whatever the feds want to do. And uh, the state can push back and refuse to assist the federal law enforcement apparatus um, enforce treacherous laws. So even if secession fails, I think that's where we can go. But yes, I do think secession and Texit, you know, maybe some other movements will become um, more in the sphere of uh, public viewing. Right. Okay, well, let, let's shift gears really quickly because I know we've got a limited amount of time. Uh, let's get down to some of the mechanics about what's going on with the Libertarian Party. We're obviously already in the 2024 election cycle right now. Um, you know, things really and truly have kicked off here in Texas without a doubt. Uh, from the perspective of LP National, uh, what, what are some strategic, uh, strategic objectives for you guys for the 2024 cycle? What are y'all focusing on for this election cycle? Yeah, the biggest things we're focusing on is, number one, um, nominating our presidential candidate. We have a primary in which we elect delegates on a state-by-state -state basis that go to a national convention and vote for that individual in May. He, they will be our top spokesman. They will get uh, media appearances and kind of spread the word. None of us are under the delusion that our candidate will win. I'll just say that straight up. We view this as an opportunity to message. But our primary thing that we really want to do, and it's not as sexy and it, it won't get as much uh, publicity, but we want to win local seats. We want to win city council, sheriff, school board, county commissioner, people that once elected have the opportunity to nullify, like I just talked about earlier. Um, even people in the lowest levels of government can make their communities freer. We think that those are winnable races and they truly are. Maybe many of them are not even partisan. And uh, we have many libertarians elected to such positions. So we yep. want to expand that out, get more people involved in those campaigns and build these single issue coalitions. So we're split between localism in terms of candidates and localism in terms of issues, because we've seen libertarian policy being passed in places where there's no libertarian in that legislature, but they just build a very effective coalition and do something that we want to do or get something done that we want to do. So there, there's my long answer. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, look, uh, the uh, Libertarian Party here in Texas has been very effective at, uh, at lobbying the legislature. Um, I know that our team uh, bumped into them on more than one occasion at the Capitol, uh, just out there effectively advocating on these pieces of legislation. So, you know, it, it's obvious. I mean, it's not just uh, the ballot box. It's, it's all facets of this, from the state house to the schoolhouse is what we say. Um, let me ask you th this final question before before we have to let you go. And um, you know, obviously, as we have talked about, um, by the time that this podcast airs, we will have announced that we have crossed officially the threshold and blown way past it to force the Texas question on the Republican ballot in March of 2024, which you know serves as an advisory referendum, but still big nonetheless. Um, but, you know, obviously, 
part of that process for getting in on the, on the primaries, uh, it, it excluded libertarians from participating because you had to commit to vote in the Republican primary. But, you know, while, while you're here, you have an opportunity to address folks that are in the Libertarian Party here in Texas that are Texas supporters. What would you encourage those folks to do to help advance this issue? Yeah, I mean, just follow your organization. Take a look at that, how we're pushing it at national, um, the LP national Twitter account. I actually am one of the people that primarily runs that account, uh, one of three. And uh, you can follow what we say, but we hit this issue hard. Um, we want people to be educated in it, especially the legislators, and especially to point to peaceful secession that has transpired under Brexit, under the breakup of the Soviet Union, perhaps the most tyrannical uh, government that ever existed, broke up peacefully. And there's other examples. In America, there's examples going back to the 1600s. Um, the lower three counties in Delaware, for instance, that uh, were once part of Pennsylvania, they broke off peacefully and formed a state. There's plenty of examples about that where this ends up peacefully. Make sure it's out in the open and... Uh, you know, just lend your head to t hand to Texas, text it. Um, would love some members to join us at lp.org slash join and uh, go from there. Well, Dave, I, I got to tell you, man, I, as I said before, I was so looking forward to this. Uh, I can't thank you enough because, I mean, let, let's be honest, having a, having a uh, large uh, political party, uh, officially talk about this issue beyond having the grassroots force them to do it is just a, a phenomenal thing. And I think it has been extraordinarily helpful. Uh, and I wish you all the, the success in the world and uh, just looking forward to keeping this dialogue going. Likewise, Daniel, you guys too. I love what you guys are doing. Keep up the great work down there and uh, keep the Lone State free. The Lone Star State free. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, Dave. Appreciate you, buddy. All right, and a big thanks again to Dave Benner from Libertarian Party National. Um, uh, very insightful conversation. Uh, I, I really, it really makes my heart swell <laughs> to uh, to uh, see this sort of di discourse and discussion. Right, this idea of states governing themselves, of people reclaiming their right of self government. To see that inner into the mainstream is just, uh, it's phenomenal. Now, uh, during my interview with Dave, you heard me allude to the fact that, um, you know, and some of you may say it, it sounds optimistic. You know, you sound optimistic that the Texit petition is going to get a, across the threshold. Uh, well, I have great reason to be optimistic because, uh, as it, it's official, as of the recording of this podcast, uh, we have indeed collected more than enough petition signatures to guarantee that text, the Texit question is on the March 2024 Republican primary ballot. Uh, it is, uh, I, I got to tell you, it, it's an exciting time for us as Texit advocates. And uh, honestly, even for folks that may not be Texit advocates, but really want to have this conversation to be able to say, look, we're, we're going to get this thing on a ballot and people are going to be able to go into a polling place and vote on it. And granted it's, you know, it's not that final Texit vote. It's not that final Texit vote that we need. Right. But this helps get us to that final vote. And frankly, it delivers on something that, that hasn't happened in any of our lifetimes. And that is that it will 
concretely place a question of self-governance on an official uh, an, on an official election ballot, right? You're going to have an opportunity to go to the polls in March of 2024 if you vote Republican and you look down at the ballot, and it's going to ask the question, should the state of Texas reassert its status as an independent nation? Now, I know many of you are like, well, you know, is this really going to happen? Let, let me just tell you. And for those of you that are watching this, uh, the video recording of this, Behind me right now is a slew of boxes. You see all these boxes? Those are the petition signatures. These are the boxes that can make history, right? So, uh, you know, some people have asked, do we need to keep collecting signatures? Depending on when this podcast episode drops, uh, the deadline is December the 1st. So, you you know, if, you, if, if you're listening to this after December 1st, uh, sorry. If you didn't get your name on the petition, we've you know you had 180 days to get it done. Uh, but if somehow you were catching a clip of this somewhere in advance of the show, uh, then go now. Go to TexasPetition.com, sign the petition. You know, be be some of the names. I, I say this all the time. We we don't just want to do the minimum. We want to overshoot that runway. We want to go uh, to where we need to be, and then some. Uh, I estimate that when we finally deliver these petition signatures, uh, probably the, the 10th or 11th is the deadline for us to actually deliver them, uh, that, that we will have substantially more than the statutory minimum. So uh, this is an exciting time. It's an exciting time. Look, whether you are in favor of Texit, you're, uh, if you're against it, if you're on the fence, uh, here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, we're going to find out, right? If it goes on the ballot, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to vote against it. If you don't want it to happen, uh, you're going to have an opportunity. If those of you on the bubble, the debate will start, and you will have an opportunity to have those discussions and ask those hard questions and reason this out for yourself. And then at the end of the day, you'll be able to go actually have your mind heard on it. Look, this is far superior to any third-party survey, right? This is, this is very different than a sample size of, you know, 2,000 people or 500 people or whatever these polling companies use. This is about as good as it gets. Two years ago, there were 1.9 million, I think, right at 2 million, right under 2 million uh, Republican voters voted in the primary. Uh, we know, based off the numbers, that about 85% voter turnout is the average for um, ballot questions like this. Probably won't get that for this being a single party only in an advisory referendum. But nonetheless, it will probably even drive voter turnout higher. So it's, you know, this is going to be probably the clearest expression we will get of the will of Texas voters on this issue uh, until we get the Texas Independence Referendum Act passed. Uh, and then every Texan gets to vote on it, and you know, and then it becomes a, a major deal. But understand, to get to that point, we had to get to this point. So, uh, guys, uh, we may have to fight this thing all the way to the end. You know, once we uh, are confirmed that we're that it's on the ballot, then we have to shift gears, uh, and we have to get out there, and we have to begin to talk to our fellow Texans, and we have to get out the vote. It's not enough to have the support. We have to get them out to the polls to vote because we want a very clear expression of the will of the people of Texas and set us on a course to having a 
uh, full, final, and binding vote on this issue sometime after um, the next legislative session. So very excited, uh, huge, huge news, and I'm just proud to share it with you here on the Texas News Podcast. Uh, so where we go from here is going to be uh, quite interesting. Um, the, the process uh, is, I've, I've delineated some of it already, but really and truly the, the process is we're going to turn them in. Uh, and we're going to say, see you, at, see you at the polls. And then as an organization, we have to shift gears and go out there and, and do the hard work. So um, will there be, you know, some, some people have asked because we, we talked about this when we announced the, um, the petition campaign uh, way back in June. Um, you know, some people have asked, will there be, um, you know, will they legally challenge it? Well, we're on firm ground, right? Texas Election Code 172.088 says we're on firm ground. But just just in case, um, we have gotten um, on our side one of the top petition attorneys uh, in the country, right? Ready to go, ready to go to war for us. So uh, I would hope that the Republican Party of Texas would not push back on this and potentially alienate. I mean, go look, go look at the website. By the time this airs, we'll probably be over 600,000 registered supporters. I, I would suggest that maybe the party doesn't want to make those people angry uh, because that's enough voters divided by district to pretty much do whatever we want to do in, in, a, uh, in an election cycle. So bottom line is uh, we've got um, legal representation. We've got lawyers ready to rock and roll. Uh, and if there are any roadblocks or stumbling blocks put in our way, uh, we intend to fight it all the way. And, 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 and uh, it's not that I'm anticipating any, but it's just that there have always been hurdles and roadblocks and everything else between us and giving every one of you the ability to sound off on this issue. People throw up whatever kind of nonsense they want to because they don't want your voice heard. So um, we have to be ready. You know, whether it's the, the lawsuit against Meta or the lawsuit against Jeb Leach or, you know, if we have to go, go to courts over this one, we'll do that too. Uh, but if you have a moment, head over to, uh, to the website, uh, head over to defendtexit.com uh, and make a contribution um, just, just so we can go into this knowing that we've got money for any sort of legal defense if necessary, if we have to go out there and fight for your right to be heard. All right. Uh, and while this has all been going on, we've had more signers to the Texas First Pledge. Many of you have uh, heard about uh, the, uh, the website TakeTexasBack.com. That is a, a campaign of the TNM's Political Action Committee. And there is where the Texas First Pledge lives. And the Texas First Pledge uh, essentially is a candidate pledge where candidates pledge to uphold your right to govern yourself, to say that they will help and assist in putting Texas up for a vote, right? They'll uphold your rights under Article One, Section 2 of the Texas Constitution. And so we've had more pledge signers. I, I think that out of all the contested races, I think at this point on the, the House side, I think we're probably pledged out to 25 to 30 of those. And um, I'm anticipating more before the filing window closes on the 11th. So uh, not only are you going to be able to go into the polls in most instances and vote for the Texas question, but you'll be able to vote for candidates that will absolutely go in 
uh, to the Texas legislature and respect your decision at those polls. So uh, very exciting. Not only are we giving you uh, the the political mandate on Texas, but we're giving you the people that can help make it a reality for you. So you got to love it. All right, folks. Uh, well, look, that is a wrap for Texas news. I, I would love to get into some news, but honestly, is there any bigger news than the fact that we actually got across the threshold on this petition? I mean, it's huge. It's huge. It, it eclipses and dwarfs everything else. And so uh, I, would just, I would just say this. Um, on behalf of, of everyone at the TNM, if you signed the petition or you helped collect signatures or um, you know, whatever your role was, if you, uh, even if, as we mentioned during the interview with Dave, where, you know, maybe you're a libertarian voter and you couldn't sign the petition because you want to be a, a delegate at uh, the state convention or, you know, whatever shakes down, but any, you know, if you just shared, shared a link to help us get people to sign, uh, thank you. This is not my victory. This is your victory. Uh, this is a victory for all of us, a, a victory for, that principle entrenched in the Texas Constitution that all political powers inherent in the people and understand that we fight so hard because anyone who opposes having this vote is is opposing that fundamental principle that the power is yours and it's uh, uh, and it's time to have your voice heard. So uh, let me remind everyone um, to head over to the TNM website to catch up on all the news, tnm.me. And in fact, if you'd like to become a member of the Texas Nationalist Movement, head over to tnm.me slash join and become a member today. Uh, it'll get you access to the video version of this podcast, uh, plus access to a whole lot of other things. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, we, we give a lot for a little. You can become a member for as little as $4.21 a month. Um, and you don't even have to pay it all at once, right? We, we understand that um, times are tough under the federal economy. So, um, you know, but just show your support. Go become a member today. Get access to some great stuff and help us make history. Because remember, if you do not write the future, uh, there are people out there that are more than willing to write it for you. So uh, be a part of, of this movement that is writing history right now, right? And while you're at it, head over and be sure to uh, subscribe to this podcast, like it, write comments, do everything you can, because everything you do to help us get out the word is, uh, you know, that is one person or more that gets, uh, gets us around the blocks from mainstream media censorship, right? So, um, but I think, I think we're about to get loud enough where they can't ignore us anymore. So they'll just come and they'll do hate pieces on us, right? Yeah, whatever. Been called worse. All right, that is a wrap, folks. Uh, I will see you on the other side uh, at the next Texas News Podcast, if not before, and I will leave you with the words of Sam Houston when he said that Texas will again lift its head and stand among the nations. I believe that time is now, and the question is, will you stand with her?